Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor J.P. Troyo here. So glad that you're joining us today on our podcast. You're about to hear a message today from our weekend encounter. Uh, I pray that this message uh, encourages you, inspires you, and pushes you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to stay on track with what's going on at the church, we'd love for you to download our app, Oasis Church Chicago, or visit us on our website, www.oasischurchchicago.com. I'm praying for you, we're believing for you, and we trust that God's gonna continue to do great things in your life. God bless you. Now here's the message today. Come on, Oasis, let's get a little bit more joyful, a little bit louder. Man, it's amazing. Hey, stay standing, stay standing for a few more seconds. Uh, I want to take a second. It would be wrong of us uh, not to thank God for your pastors. And um, I, I love your pastors. Um, I, I really do. This, the way this whole weekend worked out for me is a, is a bit freakish uh, in the sense that I would never go preach in a city and then stay over and then preach for another church. It's just like, you don't do that in church etiquette world. Um, but I broke the rules uh, after chatting with JP and actually feel like, although I came and there was great ministry yesterday, I actually feel like I'm supposed to be here for this. So whether you like it or not, you just, you just got me as a cousin that lives in New York. And as a result, you could all send me birthday gifts and Christmas gifts. And I'm not kidding. I wear 10 and a half shoes. So uh, I'll come over. I'll hang with you. And we'll be together. But I, I want to take a second. I want to honor your pastors. And it's actually really important that we honor your pastors. And if any of you ever been in church a good amount of time, you might know, oh, here it comes, the, the honor swap. You know, he said some nice things about the guest speaker. Now the guest speaker is going to come up and say nice things about them. And if you suspected that, you're right. And in fact, you should always. Because if you ever have a guest speaker that can't take time to honor your pastors, they shouldn't be your guest speaker. And, but even more importantly than that, theology teaches us that when I make much of a man or a woman of God, what I'm saying is, God, I agree with your choice. So I come in agreement with the choice that God made for this house, for this season, in the fact that he's called your pastors to oversee Oasis, when I thank God for them, what I'm saying is, God, you made the right choice, and I am with it, and I honor you, and I thank God for you. Can we take a second right now? And can we thank God for Pastor JP and Rachel for who they are and for their faith? We're grateful for you. So much on you. And I love being able to talk to you and be around you. I, I love, how, I love how sensitive you are to the Holy Spirit. I love, I love how encouraging you are. And th this church is amazing. Uh, it might be the greatest venue I've ever preached in in my life. And I wish I could steal it from you. Uh, it, is, it is incredible. And the people are joyful. And they're encouraging. And that's a direct result of your leadership. Thanks for leading the way you do. And for loving the way you do. It's amazing. It's amazing. You can go on ahead and... Grab a seat unless you don't like who you're sitting next to. Now would be a good time to change. Um, maybe you're single and uh, he or she is here. Go on ahead and sit next to them right now. They don't, may not even know it. Just go and sit with them. Someone's like, for real? Ah, no. Um, I come from a great church in New York called Christ Tabernacle where my parents are the senior pastors. They started the church 34 years ago. And, and they're amazing. Uh, coincidentally, they actually happen to be in Chicago at this very moment preaching at another church. That has also never happened before. What a fun weekend this is. Um, but they are, they, they are incredible. And we announced uh, just a few years ago that this upcoming January of 2020, my wife and I will become the new senior pastors of our church, which is, is pretty exciting uh, and all the more terrifying. Um, and I only say that to say, if you ever remember me beyond this moment, would you pray for us? Uh, because, man, this, this job, leading a church, I, I don't suspect it to be easy. And it, it takes a whole lot of hard work. And just please, always pray for your pastors. I think that's an important thing to do. But, man, I'm so excited to preach this message. I'm so excited to encourage you and, and talk to you. And just so you know a little bit something about me, I'm a little bit of like a bull in a china shop. Okay, I'm going to preach whether you respond or not. That's just, I don't know if it's the Queens, New York. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because I'm Italian. Maybe it's a combination of it all. I just, I just go, okay? And, and I mean well, um, but I'm going to give you some truth today that I just think it's going to be good for you on your journey. In fact, I felt like the Holy Spirit said very specifically to me that today three things are going to happen. 
There are three different people groups in the room. There are three different people groups in the room. There, there's the person that came in here thinking it was a normal Sunday. It was a regular Sunday. They were coming to church, excited to see what God was going to do. But you were going to receive a specific calling for your life. Up until this moment, you didn't know it. You didn't know you were going to called, be called into full-time ministry. Maybe you'd be called into entertainment. Maybe you were called to do something unto the glory of God. And God's going to give you a position, and you're going to use it for him. But, but I feel very specifically it's ministry-related. So whoever you are, there's a few of you. I can feel it in my heart. That's going to happen. Then the second group would be the one that, that you've had a word from God. God told you what you were called to do, but you forgot about it. You you kind of put it on a shelf somewhere and you just you kind of just let that thing go and God's going to remind you of it. And then thirdly, the one that knows exactly what they're called to do but has been running from it because of either fear or just not wanting to submit. You're going to get a reminder today and you're going to realize that it is safer and way more fun being in the will of God as opposed to outside of the will of God. So I just, I want to set you up. I'm prefacing this moment, just letting you know that's about to happen, okay? I'm telling you, I just, I woke up, I was praying, I feel it in my heart. So, so let's dive in. I want to read to you from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And then we're going to skip on over to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 15. So if you're taking notes, write down those verses. If you're not taking notes, Take notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Paul writes, what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Verse 14 is key. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person without the spirit. So in other words, the person that is not saved, maybe the atheist, maybe they're a person of another religion, but the person without the Holy Spirit cannot understand things of the spirit, which is why when you tell them you go to church or when you tell them what God placed on your heart or when you try to talk to them about what God is doing, doing here they don't get it and they're looking at you like you're crazy it's not a demonic attack it's just they're 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 lacking something it only makes sense through the holy spirit that's why the the guy gets into the debate with you that's why maybe you shouldn't be sharing certain information with certain people it's just it's literally a roadblock and no matter how great of a case you make until they come into a relationship with jesus they're never going to get it verse 15 the person with the spirit makes judgment about all things. Say all things. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things. Side note, don't you like hate when the pastor tells you to say things out loud? Like I always hate it, but I do it, which is really funny, by the way. Um, I, I always love when they say, hey, turn to your neighbor, because I hate turning to my neighbor, especially if I have coffee breath. You know what I mean, right? Like turn to your neighbor right now. And yet it's funny because I tell you to do it, and I, th I think I like the control. Anyway, uh, the person... The person with the spirit makes judgment about all things. But such a person, such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord? So as to instruct him. It's a, it's a rhetorical question. But we have the mind of Christ. Come on, that's good news right there. But we have the mind of Christ. Skipping on over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read from the King James Version so you know it's real, okay? That's how you know it's real. Get me an organ, okay? It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved study to show thyself approved i want to take the next few moments and i want to preach to you from this idea the student versus the scavenger if you're taking notes i want you to write that down the student versus the scavenger and just pray with me one more time god we honor you we exalt you and we praise you you are on the throne and you will forever be on the throne jesus thank you for taking our place 
Not only dying for us, but dying as us. Taking on every sin and every mistake we would ever make, releasing us to live in the freedom of your grace and joy. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Speak and say what you want to say. Do what only you could do. And I pray that as a result, that each and every one of us would leave this place greater than how we walked in. In the precious and matchless name of Jesus. Can you shout amen? Amen. 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 Anybody excited about summer being here? Man, I am. I'm excited about summer being here. I wish my summer body was here with me, but I am excited uh, about summer being here. And as a parent of a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old, it, it, it's, it's a bit shocking that it's here so soon. Because, man, I thank God for free babysitting. You know what I mean? Like public schools, man, I get to get rid of my kids for eight hours, five days a week, and it's awesome. Some of you are judging me. You probably don't have kids. But I love, I love that summer is here. I get to spend time with them. And it's, it's amazing to hear the difference in the stories on this end of the year. What I, what I mean is my, my son Dylan, my daughter Chloe, they're talking to me about all their memories and how they're going to miss their teachers and, and the great time they had. But man, I remember the first day of school. I remember it was a big deal because not only was it the first day of school, but we had bought a brand new house in a new neighborhood, which now meant a new school. So now you have a combination of it being a new grade, but also a new school. A new school would suggest now new teachers that they didn't know, friends that they would now have to make, new rules and regulations that they would have to succumb to. So all of these emotions are going through my children's mind, and I could sense it as I was driving them to school. How was I able to sense it, you ask? I'm a good, good father, okay? I was able to figure out that something was wrong. As my daughter Chloe screamed from the, from the back seat, Dad, please don't bring me to that hellhole. It was then that I knew. I could just sense she wasn't happy about this. I said, Chloe, what's the matter? Right away, she starts to share all her insecurities, all her doubts. Dad, what, what if I can't make any friends? And, and what, if, what, if, what if they don't let me use the bathroom? Like, what if they don't have bathrooms? And, and all these things are, are coming out of her, and I could just sense the doubt and the insecurity. Now, immediately as a dad, I want to step in and do it for her. I want to I figure out a way to, to figure out all her problems so that she's not this overwhelmed because it breaks my heart to see my baby girl in this flustered place. I start thinking to myself, man, I wish I could go do it for her. I wish I could introduce myself to the classroom for her. I wish I could figure out where to go and the friends and the whole lunchroom fiasco. Remember lunchrooms? Like, like I wish I could figure that whole thing out. However, how many of us know that if it were to happen, two things would happen? One, I'd be arrested. <laughs> two, I'd be robbing her of the experience of going through life herself. Because there are just some experiences that you can't just read about. you got to experience for yourself. So, so I decided I'm going to challenge Chloe. She's a bit of an overachiever, so I thought I'd speak to her pride. I said, Chloe, you don't, you don't want to graduate? And she said, and I quote, yeah, dad, duh. Of course I want to graduate. I just don't want to go to school. And I thought, Chloe, you are preaching right now. Because if there was ever a statement that identifies the state that this generation is in, it is that right there, that we would have a generation that wants everything that looks good without having to go through the process of how to get it. We have a generation that loves to throw filters on things and crop out things, and by looking at somebody else's picture, they now feel entitled enough to say, I want that for me, but what they don't realize is all the hard work that was cropped out of the picture, and what they don't realize is the process and the money and the time and the prayers and the efforts that were spent on it. See, what I realized is we have a whole lot of people that want to walk across the stage to receive a diploma, but not enough people that are willing to put in the work in order to receive that diploma. We have a whole lot of people that want straight A's, but they don't want to spend any time studying in order to get the straight A's. We got a whole lot of people that would love to be considered a teacher's pet, but not enough people that are willing to spend time with the teacher. I was praying. I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me there, in church today, it's split. 
between two types of people. You have the students and you have the scavengers. You have the students and you have the scavengers. You have the, you have the students and you have the scavengers. I want to give you two definitions. One of the scavenger and then one of the student. One of the scavenger, one of the student. Let me give you the, the first definition. A scavenger. A person who searches for and collects words anywhere they could find one. A person who searches for and collects words anywhere they could find one. A scavenger is a person who searches for and collects words. Words. You know what I mean when I say words? They're, they're, they're the kind of person that will go to anybody and listen to what that person has to say about their life without ever thinking to themselves, did this person actually pray? Where did this person get this idea from? Why is it that they're saying it to me? But they're so willing to rely on somebody else to tell them what to do, and they will settle for somebody else's word as opposed to deciphering it for themselves. And then you have the student, though, the student. A student is someone that is able to remember and apply scripture when necessary. Not someone that is just able to memorize scripture. Someone that is able to remember and apply scripture when necessary. Not someone that is just able to memorize scripture. We have the students and the scavenger. And if you're in church today, our audiences, our congregations, whether it's Chicago, New York, L.A., every city in between, it is split between the students and the scavengers. But the truth is you can't figure out who's who when the service is going on. It's after the service is over that you could see who is who because students and scavengers, well, they worship next to one another and they go to small groups with one another and they, 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 they sing hand in hand next to one another. They, they all seem to be in the good place because they seem to be in the right place. But what I've learned that proximity really has nothing to do with where you really are with God. They're the students and the scavenger over the next few moments. JP told me that I can go as long as I want. So I'm going to go three hours. Anybody good with that? Three hours of preaching. I love it. Three Pentecostals. The rest of us is like, we got brunch. Awesome. Um, three truths of the scavenger. Three truths of the student. Three truths of the scavenger. Do we have those notes for the screen? Can we, can we put up the first truth, the first truth of a scavenger? If you can't, all good. Uh, I'll read it out loud. Truth number one of a scavenger. Please write this down. A scavenger searches for words but never looks to the actual source a scavenger searches for words but never looks to the actual source a scavenger searches for words but never looks to the actual source this idea came to me one day i was preaching in dublin ireland i was preaching in dublin ireland when you travel overseas they work you okay they don't want you to come and preach a sermon. They want you to come and preach every sermon you possibly have. If you have 50, they'll let you preach 50. If it's 100, they want you to preach 100. So I had finished preaching a good amount of times in Dublin, Ireland. And when the conference was all said and done, and I preached a thousand times, this young girl makes her way on up to me, and she goes, Pastor Chris, finally. I go, I'm sorry? She goes, finally, God told me that I had to get to you because you have a word for me. And I'm like, I do? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, is it any different from the 80 I just preached? Or she's like, no, no, you, 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 don't, you don't get it. You were in Dallas last week, and, and I was there, and I tried to get to you after the service, but I couldn't get to you. But, but here you are now and here. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. You went from Dallas to Dublin, got you a passport to get a word from me? She goes, yeah, no. And I'm like, huh? I don't really understand that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. Which one is it? She goes, I'm from New York. <laughs> I'm from New York. She goes, I go to your church. I got so mad in that moment. I was like, you're one of mine, you know? Somebody might say, man, that's, 
that's beautiful. Look, look how persistent she was. She, she thought that you had a word for her, so she was willing to get on a plane and then go to Dallas. And then after that, she went back home, and then she got her a passport, and she went to Dublin. And now here she is, and that would seem good at a surface level. But anyone that studies the word of God and understand how God works understands that that woman did not have to travel halfway around the world to get a word. She just had to travel across her bedroom, pick up her Bible, and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What is it that you would want to say to me? What is the word that you would want to give to me? Because can I tell you, we have too many people that are willing to settle for someone else's revelation as opposed to hearing from God themselves. I think it's a beautiful culture that we have today. I think it's great that we have books. I think it's great that we have conferences. I think it's great that we have YouTube and we could watch churches from around the nation and around the world. But please believe that every 60-second sermon clip Every conference, every retreat, every book, all of those things were made to complement your relationship with God. They were not created to substitute your relationship with God. You have a God that literally died so that he could speak to you, and yet here we are settling for someone else's sermon. I'm going to go to Oasis in the morning, and I'm going to hear from the really good-looking guest speaker from New York, and then I'm going to travel across town, and I'm going to go to this church because they have a night service, and then Monday morning, I'm going to go to Monday morning prayer over here because I really like the atmosphere over there and you have these scavengers that that they're searching and they're looking and they're searching and they're looking and the issue is they're receiving all these words and it's not that the words are bad it's just that the words weren't for them so now they don't know who they are and they're taking on words and and one moment they're going this way and then the next moment they're they're going this way you, you ever meet someone that they're they're so excited about Jesus and and one day they're like God told me to do this and then the next week, they're like, God told me to do the opposite. And you're like, huh? I did 12 years of young adults and youth ministry. That is what young adults do. That's what male young adults do when they want to date a girl. God told me I'm to marry her. She's my Eve. You're like, what? All of a sudden, next week, Pastor Chris, the devil almost got me. I'm like, what happened? She's like, man, Jezebel. I'm like, Jezebel? One day she's Eve, now she's Jezebel? Like, like, God's not confused. God knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly what it is that he has for you. He has made up his mind. It comes a place where you come and you make up your mind and you say, you're the God that I'm going to serve. This is the church that I'm going to serve in. This is what I'm going to be a part of. And this is what I'm going to do. There are the students and the scavenger. Let me give you truth number two of the scavenger. A scavenger never settles in the word. We got it. Thank you. A scavenger never settles in the word because the scavenger has never allowed the spirit to settle in them. A scavenger never settles in the word because the scavenger has never allowed the spirit to settle in them. The scavenger never settles in the word because he's never, because she's never allowed the Holy Spirit to settle in them. It is the Holy Spirit that allows us to decipher and understand how to operate and what to do. That's why any organization, any institute that just looks at this book as it's just a piece of literature and some good principles, they are completely missing out of the most important step, which is the Holy Spirit, which is why Jesus went back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit could fill us, lead us, and guide us and show us exactly who it is that we are called to be and where it is that we're called to go. But you know what I've learned about this generation, this, this really cool, good looking millennial baby boomers whatever you want to call them generation is that that they like God the father because he represents authority and creativity they like Jesus because he seems like a powerful humanitarian that took care of people but they don't like the Holy Spirit because of some weird experience that they had at some church or some late-night Christian television that promised them, if you pay only three payments of $19.95, then you will get your miracle. And 
And as a result, you've summed up the Holy Spirit as being this weird arm of God. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm good with God the Father. I'm good with Jesus the Son. But, but I don't really want the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you that it doesn't work that way? We serve a triune God. We, we serve a God that is three in one. So to say you don't like the Holy Spirit is to say you don't like one third of our God. And can I tell you that God is not okay with that? Like I'm married. I got a wife. I got two kids. Please believe that me and you can't be cool if you have an issue with my wife. Me and you cannot be in a relationship if you have an issue with my children. If you have an issue with my children, you got an issue with, with me. If you're good with me, then you're good with my children. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but I could just sense it in my heart right now that there are so many of you that have been refusing going deeper with the Holy Spirit because of what you think it represents. But can I tell you flat out, the Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. And they do weird things on television to, to seem as if they have something unique or they have a niche on the Holy Spirit marker. Let's, let's not buy into any of those things. The Holy Spirit is our guide that leads us and guides us on a daily basis. And I'd encourage you to open up your heart today and your mind today and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to guide me. I need you to lead me. I need you to show me who it is that you have called me to be. Number three, a scavenger doesn't discover the depths of God and as a result ends up drowning in the storm. A scavenger doesn't discover the depths of God and as a result ends up drowning in the storm. Do you know that every part of your Bible matters? You know that every piece of the word of God can encourage you and lead you and show you exactly what it is that you need. And I find that too often we treat this Bible as something that we have to get done through the day. So if I could say I did my Bible reading plan today, if I read my chapter today, if I read these verses today, then I'll be good for today. And then tomorrow I got to figure out some time to do that. What you don't realize is that there's so much power in every word of every sentence of every verse and all throughout the Bible. And if you were to allow that word to settle on the inside of you, you'd realize that it's not just to build you up in your head space, but to build you up in your heart space. And as a result, you'll be able to do all the things that God has called you to do. There's this story in the Bible. It's not that popular, um, but because I'm such a theologian, I, I found it. Um, it's, it's the story where Peter walks on water. I know it's you probably never heard it or even sang about it. Um, we just sang Peace Be Still just a few moments ago. One of my best friends actually wrote that song. I was with her. I was with her in Israel when she actually wrote it. And I remember the presence of God falling in that moment and just sensing this power, this power of presence of God. Because we were on the exact sea where Jesus and Peter had this beautiful moment. If you ever heard the story where Peter walks on the water, it really starts off because moments before Jesus was with the disciples and he feeds 5,000 people. He, he steals lunch from a little boy and then he prays over it, disperses it, and then thousands of people get fed. Have you heard this story before? After he's done feeding all these people, he then says to the disciples, hey, go on ahead. I'll meet you on the other side. And the Bible says that Jesus withdraws so that he could pray, which on a side note, how cool is it if Jesus gets along to pray? How much more should we? If Jesus, God himself, makes time to pray, how much more should we? So then the Bible says that they're on the lake, and off in the distance they see a figure. It's Jesus, but they don't realize it's Jesus. Why? Because they've never seen him in that light before. Which I think is a really cool illustration of what revelation is. God wants to reveal himself to you in such a great and beautiful way. You are going to begin to see him in ways that you've never seen before, even in verses that you've said a thousand times. You ever read your Bible before and you've read stories that you've read a whole bunch, but then you read it this time and you didn't catch it before? That speaks to revelation. That speaks to God revealing himself to you in a great and mighty way. But because they had never seen Jesus in this light before, they go, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. But it wasn't a ghost. It was Jesus. And then Jesus gets a little bit closer and he has to say to them, he has to say to them, it is I. Don't be scared. <laughs> and then Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, which I hate that part. If it's really you, like for real, what else you need, Peter? What else does he have to do to show you that it's him? 
He says, say, I can come out in the water with you. Jesus says, come. Which side note, that's Peter's third word within this story. First is get on the boat. I'll meet you on the other side. Second is don't be scared. It's me. Third, come. He steps out in the water with Jesus. We don't know how long he's on the water for. It could have been moments. It could have been minutes. It could have been a while. Commentators, most commentators believe that it was only a few seconds. However, let's not dismiss the fact that this man is standing on water, even if it were for five seconds. That is a miracle. And yet, in the middle of him being in the miracle, he's not even realizing that he's in a miracle, and he gets so focused on what's actually happening around him. The Bible describes that the waves start to crash up against his legs, and as the waves are crashing up against his legs, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks down at the water and then he starts to drown but of course that happened because anytime you take your eyes off of Jesus you will drown it's it's I promise you and it's amazing because here he is in the middle of a miracle let me say to the person this is a miracle this church is a miracle. What God is doing here is a miracle. We can get so caught up in our miracle and so used to being in the middle of a miracle that now we allow practical things that pop up to distract us and allow us to believe that God is not really that great. You're in a miracle, which means nobody else could do this thing but God. He's walking on the water. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He starts to drown. And then I just imagine what this moment looks like. I, I imagine Jesus trying to help Peter stand up. But then I imagine Peter being stubborn because he's Peter. And I imagine him saying, Jesus, I'm going to die. And I imagine Jesus saying, no, Peter, put your eyes back on me. You were just doing it. You're going to be okay. But then I imagine Peter saying, no, no, Jesus, you don't get it. Which I love that, by the way, because I often think of the times where I try to tell Jesus what's actually right. Like if I know better because of how. I feel so I imagine Peter arguing with Jesus trying to explain to him what is true and what is not and I imagine Jesus saying Peter put your eyes back on me you're gonna be okay and I imagine Peter saying no Jesus you don't get it this is liquid I wasn't made to walk on top of it and then I imagine Jesus saying no 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 Peter I understand that the water is liquid but understand my word is solid when I tell you to walk you walk when I tell you to go you go when I tell you to step you step but because Peter couldn't make up his mind, he's going back and forth between Jesus being Jesus and his emotions getting the best of him. He goes back and forth between Jesus being Jesus and his emotions being his emotions. James talks about this. It says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That person is like a wave of the sea tossed back and forth, back and forth. You ever feel like you're not moving anywhere? It's because you got to make up your mind. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so he is. If, if I believe that God is good and I could operate in the fullness of Jesus, I'm able to move forward. But if I am living in a place of you are God, you are not. You are God, you are not. I'm going to go back and forth. And when I think of the scavenger that doesn't discover everything it is that God has for them because they drown in the storm, what they suggest by their actions is that the storm is greater than God. Speaking of the song, Peace Be Still. When Jesus literally said that line to his disciples on another moment when they were on the water, he says, peace be still. Disciples are freaking out. Jesus is on the boat with them. He says, hey, we're going to go the other side. We're going to do ministry. They start to freak out because a storm happens. But Jesus already told them that we're going to the other side. But they forget the fact that he said we're going to the other side. They start looking at the storm, and they now start thinking we're going to die. And then now Jesus has to get up from his nap, and now he has to stop the storm just to calm their hearts. But what I love is that Jesus operates in this moment in a place of rest and shows us that even when storms come, because I'm God and I know I'm going there, it doesn't matter what happens in the middle. I'm going to be okay. I actually would argue that when he says peace, be still, that the be still was for the storm, but the peace was for the people. Peace, be still. A storm doesn't need peace. A storm is a storm. It's, it lacks human emotion. You could tell a storm to be still, but peace, that's for the disciples that are questioning their faith and questioning how powerful God is. And I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but I sense in my heart that a whole lot of people need to hear this. You need the peace of God so that you could operate through whatever it is that life throws your way. Peace. Jesus was able to sleep. Why? Because he knew he was exactly where he needed to be. Let me give you three truths of the student and then we'll close. Number one, a 
student studies the word. A student studies the word. Why? Because he or she knows that a test could happen at any moment. A student studies because they know a test could happen at any moment. This is why the Bible says we're supposed to be ready when? In season and out of season. In season and out of season. In season and out of season. When the Bible says study to show thyself approved, this does not mean one day in heaven you're going to stand before God and he's going to ask you how many scriptures do you know and you're going to impress him by being able to memorize a certain amount. This is, this is not what the Bible means, but when the Bible says study and show thyself approved, it means when life happens to you, and you're going through your decisions and your trials and your storms and your hard moments. Do you take everything it is that you've been studying and do you put it, pull it out of your back pocket and apply it in the moment? So, so do you take what it is that you read in this word and you show that you are a student of the word so that when life happens, you study to show thyself approved. So when hardship comes, when tough times come, when your faith is being challenged, when you're trying to figure things out, when you got to make a decision about a relationship, are you saying, God, what is it that you would have me to do? And if your, your, your feelings are saying one thing, but it contradicts what, what the word says, you don't go with your feelings you go with the word because you're a student study to show thyself approved number two a student allows the word to study them so one a student studies the word two a student allows the word to study them what does that mean do you know that the bible is the only book where the author is always present the bible is the only book where the author is always present which is why we don't take any verse for granted. Which is why there are no cliche verses in the Bible. When you are reading even at John 3.16, you would pause and say, God, what is it that you would be trying to show me through this scripture right now? What is it that you would want to say to me? And then you know what you do? You stop and you listen. This is why your Bible is full of the word sila. The word literally means pause, think about it, consider it, allow God to speak to you. Because why? He wants to speak to you. You're not just reading this as literature or information. You're actually saying, God, what is it you want me to understand about life right now? What is it that you want to show me to do? How is it that you want me to live? What decision do you want me to make? Do you want me to take the job? Do you not want me to take the job? Also, what the Spirit will show you are the things you didn't even know about you. I heard a leader say the other day, I thought this was such a brilliant quote. He said, I don't know what I don't know. I love that. I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. And because I don't know it, I wish I did. If I knew it, I'd change it. There are things about you that you don't even realize you're dealing with. And you have to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you. And I mean that in the sweetest, kindest way possible see often we go to God with our needs with the needs that we're aware of so God will you do this for me well God will you show me this and it becomes a very I demand and I wait for the response I demand and I wait for the response when really the culmination of your relationship with God is allowing him to lead you and guide you because he knows you better than you know you so if you've ever prayed the prayer God make me a man of God or make me a woman of God you offered yourself up to be spoken to by God and in areas that you didn't even know you were dealing with for instance, maybe there's bitterness on the inside of you you didn't even know was there. Maybe there's anger on the inside of you you didn't even know was there. Maybe there's forgiveness that needs to happen and you didn't even realize that this thing was an issue for you. So when you stop and you say, God, what is it that you would say? He starts to develop you and developing you to become that man and that woman. You, you didn't even know you had that issue. You didn't even know you had that concern. You didn't even know that that was a problem. You didn't even realize that was a thing. And then the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you, and he starts to show you, and he starts to lead you. He starts to guide you. Number three. And maybe you can come up and play keys, because that will make me sound awesome. Thank you, by the way. A student is able to stand in the midst of the storms. Because the student is daily being washed in the waters of the word. A student is able to stand in the midst of the storms because a student is daily being washed in the waters of the word. In other words, the word equips you for everything that the enemy or life may have for you. There's this story in the Bible. It's immediately after Jesus is baptized. 
He's about to start his public ministry. The Bible says that the spirit takes him to the wilderness. And it's the very famous moment where Satan attempts to tempt Jesus. Well, there's so much that we could learn in this story. And I would love for you to read it one day on your own. But I just want to read to you Matthew 4 verse 3. It says, now when the tempter came to him. In other words, now when Satan came to Jesus, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Which on a side note, that's what the enemy does, by the way. He'll always question your identity to cause you to question your identity. Are you the son of God? Did God really call you to play keys? Did God really call you to start a church in the middle of Chicago? Did did God really call you to be an artist? Did he he really call you to to finance this project? Did he he really? It's what the enemy does. He he asks questions to make you second guess yourself. You, You ever be so certain about something and then somebody asks you which challenges what it is that you thought you knew and now all of a sudden you're second guessing yourself? This is what he does. Did he really say that? Did he really say not to eat of that tree? Command that these stones become bread. But, but he answered. But Jesus answered and said, it is written. Man, that's a whole statement right there. It is, it is written. It is, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written. Like, think about it, guys. It's Jesus. In this moment, he's quoting Old Testament. He's quoting scripture that was already written. But it's Jesus. Every time he talks, it's scripture. He could have submitted to us a new verse in this moment that we could have took and claimed for ourselves. But instead, instead of saying a new thing, what does he do? He repeats an old thing. Because do you know that there's still so much power in the old thing? There's still so much power in what's already written. And what I'm trying to do is encourage the person that doesn't even realize you have everything you need in this word. And because you have everything you need in this word, you don't need a new thing. You don't need a new organization. You don't need a new church. You don't need a new self-help book. You don't need a new style. You don't need a new group of friends. What you need is to remember what was already said about you. It is written. So when the enemy says to you, you're a failure, you say, "Uh uh-uh, it is written on more than a conqueror when the enemy says you're never going to be forgiven you say "Uh uh-huh it says that Jesus loves me and he died for me when the enemy says you're going to be bound and you're going to be like this forever you say no 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 it is written whom the sun sets free is free indeed it is written it's written it's because I know what the bible says it doesn't matter what you say It doesn't matter what the enemy says. It doesn't matter what my flesh says. It doesn't matter what temptation says. And another side note for the side note. The Bible says that Satan's native tongue is lie. Which means every time he talks is a lie. Which then also suggests that the opposite would be true. So if he says you're a failure, you should start rejoicing. And you should say he just reveals something about me. I'm obviously not a failure. I am a conqueror. When he says that you're never going to get out of this, you should start praising. You can say I'm about to get out of this. When he says you're never going to be healed, you're never going to get everything you want out of life, you should start worshiping because he just suggested something to you that he's obviously intimidated by. It's written. I don't, I don't even need to have this conversation with you. you. You ever have the facts on a situation? And someone's trying to convict you otherwise? You're like, I don't even know why we're talking about this anymore. I already got everything I need. I wish somebody would be bold enough and say, I got everything I need right here. I don't have to have any more of these conversations with you. We're not talking about this anymore. We're, we're not chatting about this anymore. I'm not arguing with you anymore. It is written. It's written, it's written. Because it's written, I got everything I need. Because it's written, I got everything I need. Next month. Next month represents three years that I released my last book. I wrote a book called The Heist. How Grace Robs Us of Our Shame. And it's actually my second book. And I'll never forget the month prior, June. So around this time. My publisher sent me advanced copies of my book. It's about 20 copies. And they sent it to me so that I could see it before anybody else did. So I'll never forget my assistant bringing it to my office. And I'm having this moment. 
And I'm really praising God because, like, I know me, okay? I'm not that smart. I grew up with a learning disability. I hardly ever read books in school. I promise you, from fifth grade through college, I handed in of mice and men every year for a book report. Now, here I am holding a book that I wrote. It's surreal. It's, it's humbling. It's, I feel completely unworthy. So, so I'm holding the book, and I'm just staring at it, and I'm praising God for it. And as this is happening, I hear a knock on the door. It's a knock. And then my friend just comes in, which, why are you going to knock and then just come in? You know what I mean? Like, like, wait, buddy, or don't knock. Don't insult my intelligence. Knocks, comes in. Right away, he goes, bro, 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 let me tell you about this girl I'm dating. Bro, I got to tell you. About. And he's completely missing the fact that I'm having a moment. And I'm kind of annoyed, right? And I have no other choice to be this way. Queens. So I don't even turn my body towards him. I'm trying to give him the hint. He's like, bro, bro, girl. Ah. And I'm like, ha wow. <laughs> He's like, bro, she's amazing. I'm like, oh, cool story. And he goes, oh, oh. Uh, is that your new book? I go, yeah. He goes, when did it come in? I'm like, oh, just now. And I was looking at it by myself. <laughs> Grabs the book out of my hand. He goes, bro, I got the best idea ever. He goes, how about I take this book and I give it to the girl? And I'm like, wow. What a great idea. He goes, oh, oh, here, here, you got to sign it. And I'm like, okay. That was a really long signature, sorry. Give it back to me. He opens it, and he goes, that's it? I go, what do you mean, that's it? He goes, I told you I really like this girl. Give her a word. And I go, I don't know her. Besides, I wrote the book. You want a word? Here it is, you know. I just find it amazing how quick we are to rely on somebody else to tell us where we need to go when we actually have everything it is that we need in the word, the word that leads us and guides us, the word that gives us everything we need, and yet we have people that are constantly settling for somebody else to tell them what it is that they need to do. And no, I am not disqualifying the relationship between a pastor and a congregant. That's a very important one because our spirit should bear witness. What I'm talking about is the person that relies on everybody else to give them a word in their season of life I wish somebody would just show me I wish somebody would just say to me I need to speak to the guest speaker where's the pastor where's the worship leader because I feel like they're going to say something over me it's like what it's this completely entitled thing that we have going on in the church everybody wants a word like oh you you want a word what, what kind of word do you want you I got a word for you. You want, you want a word on God's direction? Cool. Psalm 23, verse 2. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Oh, you want a word? How about a Proverbs word? Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Oh, you're dealing with forgiveness, and you need a forgiveness word. You don't need a conference. How about Matthew 6, 14? For if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your Father. Father, forgive you of yours. Or what about 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or what about Psalm 51, 7? Purge me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities and create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Oh, you're brokenhearted and you need a brokenhearted word. Psalm 147, 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Oh, you're 
dealing with fear, you need a word on fear. Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Oh, you're tired, and you need a word on your tiredness? Matthew 11.28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Oh, you need healing? You need a healing word. Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Or what about Jeremiah 17, 14? Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Or Jeremiah 30, 17, for I will restore health to you and heal all of your wounds, says the Lord. Or what about Psalm 30, verse 2? Lord, my God, I cried to you and you healed me. Oh Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive and I shall not go down to the pit. Oh, you're dealing with trials and you need a word on trials and tribulations. What about Romans 8, 37? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yeah, but, but I'm really struggling. Does he love me or not? Am I forgiven or not? Then you stopped reading too soon because he goes on to write, for I am convinced, not that I speculate, not that I hope, not that I assume, for I am convinced that neither height nor depth, angel nor demon, neither past nor present, nor anything else in all this world can separate me from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, you need a word. How about this word? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with human flesh. And his name is Jesus. At the mention of this word, demons have to flee. At the mention of this word, healing starts to happen. Because of the confession of this name, your eternity was shifted from hell to heaven. Why? Because there is so much power in the word of Jesus. trying to get you to understand that you are way more powerful than you realize you have way more authority than you realize all you have to do is take the place that God has called you in the designed relationship that he's manufactured for us specifically that we would step into agreement with what it is that he has for us and then follow through on what it is that he would say would you stand